Don't you love the Lamb of God, church? To read and to see tonight the sacrifice that was made for my sin. You know, he stopped at verse number 50. Verse number 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Aren't you grateful for the Lamb of God tonight? You know, tonight we're going to take some time and we are going to remember as he has instructed us to. You know, this thing is real. This thing matters. And I want you to know tonight, if you're here, maybe you're visiting with us or you're here and, you know, maybe you've just never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You know what? Tonight, if that's the case for you and, and, and you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that, that as you are, you are dead in your sins. But the good news is you don't have to stay there because Jesus died that you might live. John 1 and verse number 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. We've said it a lot lately on Sunday mornings, church. We ought never grow beyond the cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross. As we sang tonight, lead me to Calvary. And the cross is where we find our salvation. And the cross is where we find our security. The cross is where we find our sanctification, our satisfaction. Church, let's never get too sophisticated for the cross. To the world, the cross lands somewhere between repugnant and ridiculous. But to the believer, there is no more beautiful sight. Because the cross has made all the difference for me. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight I want to go back to Luke 22 where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And I want to see tonight a couple of truths from this passage about the memorial that Christ has left for us. So Luke 22, and we're going to begin uh, our study tonight in verse number 14. There the Bible says, And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him, and he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. What are those next three words, church? Before I suffer. For I say unto you that I will not eat any more, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Might we note first of all tonight the anticipation of the cross. The anticipation of the cross. The cross was not an accident. It was not something unforeseen. It was not something unfortunate. It was not a sad but necessary consequence of Jesus' life and ministry. No, the cross was the essential point of Jesus' life and ministry. He came to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus knew that he was born to die. Revelation 13 frames him as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus often foretold of his own death. 
Matthew 12 and verse number 40, we see this. He says, for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so the Son of Man shall be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Luke 18, beginning in verse 31, we see here Jesus that he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered to the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Jesus knew that he was born to die. Clearly hundreds of years before Christ came in the flesh, it was prophesied in many places. Zechariah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 53, one of the most famous prophecies. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The anticipation of the cross. Jesus knew that he was born to die. Hear me, church. Jesus was not murdered. The act of murder means to take a life. And Jesus' life was not taken from him. He willingly laid it down for us. John 10, in verse number 17, Jesus made this abundantly clear. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. In case you missed it, verse 18, he says this, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I received of my Father. Jesus' life was not taken from him. He laid it down for us. And you see the anticipation of the cross as Jesus transitions his disciples from the Passover meal of Judaism to the Lord's Supper meal of Christianity. And as we consider the anticipation of the cross, you know what we have to realize? The cross did not frustrate God's plan. Oh, it frustrated the disciples' plan. I mean, so much so that at one point Peter took him aside and did what? Rebuked him. Said, no, Lord. It's not going to be like this. No, 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 no. Oh, it frustrated the disciples' plan a great deal. But it didn't frustrate God's plan. In fact, the cross fulfilled God's plan. And there's a beauty in that. The anticipation of the cross. He knew. He knew. He knew we would be lied about. He knew he would be beaten. He knew he would have his beard plucked from his face, a crown of thorns beaten into his skull. He knew. He knew that he would be whipped until he was hardly recognizable as a man. He knew more than that he would drink the bitter cup of my sins. He knew. And yet he came. I mean, honestly, guys, if I'd have known what the dentist was going to do to me two weeks ago, I wouldn't have gone there. And yet he knew. And he came. 
There was no cost too high for Jesus to fulfill his Father's will. As he prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. And so church, tonight we come and we do this in remembrance of him. And we are grateful for and we glory in the fact that Jesus did not shun the cross. In fact, the cross teaches us how we should live. Jesus provides the ultimate example that we should take up our cross and fulfill the Father's will. There is a price to be paid, but there is a purpose to be accomplished. A life of surrender and service, a life of taking up one's cross. It's not all daffodils and sunflowers. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. It's not all lollipops and gummy bears. The cross is a hard road. It is a narrow road. Full of hard decisions. And hard losses. But here's the beauty of it. It doesn't frustrate God's plan. In fact, if you would take up your cross and follow him, you would find that it fulfilled God's perfect plan for your life as well. We see, first of all, the anticipation of the cross. He knew, and yet he came. And then I find, look at verse 19 and 20. Jesus said he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 20, likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Not only tonight I do I think we need to draw our attention to the anticipation of the cross, but I think we need to come to see the attention given to the cross. You know, it's amazing how often and to what extent we're told to focus on, to consider, to meditate upon the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The memorials that we have been given cause us to reflect not so much on how Jesus lived, but on how Jesus died. You think about baptism, buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. You think of communion, the bread is his body which is broken, The, the juice, the cup is his blood which was shed. These memorials point us to reflect not on how he lived, but how he died. Now this is unusual and not something that we normally do. I have done many funerals. And I typically don't spend a lot of time in funeral services focusing on how someone died. We talk about how someone lived. We talk about the legacy that they leave behind. I mean, could you imagine even a historical figure do a memorial service for Abraham Lincoln and spend the whole time talking about how that poor man died? I mean, it's just inappropriate. 150 years later or whatever, it's inappropriate still, right? And yet this is the memorial that the Lord has set up for us. That we are explicitly told to give our attention to the fact that his body was broken. That his blood was shed. Paul reiterates this for us in 1 Corinthians 11 beginning in verse 23. 
There he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken, which is broken for you. This too, in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. Till he come. How unusual. How unusual. And we are explicitly told, to regularly give our attention to the manner in which Christ died. But church, I think there's a reason that the crucifixion is recorded in all four Gospels. Because we need to regularly give attention to the price that was paid. Over time, we have managed to sanitize the cross. We plate it with gold and we hang it around our necks. And it's pretty jewelry and all that good stuff. But back in the day, claiming the cross would be akin to someone today glorying in a man gagging in an Auschwitz gas chamber or glorying in a man as he twitches from the end of a noose or glorying in a man as he convulses in an electric chair. Just seems odd. Poor taste. Because crucifixion, church, was a shameful, shameful event. It was designed in such a way that it was meant to guarantee that bad people died bad deaths. Slowly. Slowly. Agonizingly. People hung. Some for days. Until they suffocated to death. Until they could no longer pull their body up to take another breath. For show, some were even left on the cross until their bloated body rotted off and fell to the ground. Crucifixion, the cross, was a shameful event. So terrible that it was something that was not to be spoken of in polite company. And yet it is here that we are told to give our attention. And so we do this in remembrance of him. Because it is here that we are reminded just how much Jesus loves us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus provides the ultimate expression of love. John 15 and verse 13 There Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And he did that when I was not lovable. He did that when I was not looking for love. And though I was not lovable, and neither were you, though I was not looking for love, yet he loved me like no other. We talked about it this morning. He didn't need me. Sometimes our our, our modern music or modern sermons gives the idea that God just wouldn't be complete if he didn't have me. No, God has been complete in himself from eternity past and he will always be complete in himself. 
But more than the fact that he didn't need me, he wants me and loves me and sought my highest good when I could offer nothing in return. And when I couldn't have been bothered to care less, his body was broken and his blood was shed that I might be free. As we look at the Lord's Supper that He instituted tonight, we're reminded first of the anticipation of the cross. He knew, yet He came. We're reminded of the attention we're told to give to the cross. But church, there's one more place we have to go. Look again at verse 19 and 20. And I want you to note carefully the words of the Lord Jesus. Every word of this book is God-breathed. Verse 19, and he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given, what are those next two words? For you. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 20, likewise the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. For you. We see the anticipation of the cross. We see the attention to the cross. Lastly tonight, we see the acceptance of the cross. You know, the Bible does say God so loved the world, and I'm glad he did. But that doesn't become profitable until it becomes personal. Until you realize that body was broken for you. That blood was shed for you. It doesn't become profitable until it becomes personal. It's not just that Jesus died. He died for me. It's not just that Jesus died. He died in my place. It's not just that the wage of sin is death. It is the wage of my sin is death. And he paid my sin. That I might gain his life. You know, the cross is a paradox. A seeming contradiction. I've shared this before, but I I love it so much I'm going to share it again. Think about this with me. The crucifixion was an act of hatred. The crucifixion, which was an act of hatred, stands today as the greatest act of love in all of human history. The cross stands for love, for the availability of God's love for us. We see on the cross that the thief on the cross, one of the thieves on the cross was saved And I believe that that testimony is recorded in Scripture for us, that that none need despair. Because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, he didn't have time to come down and join a church. He didn't have time to come down and get baptized, to do good works, to make up for his wrong, to tithe. He didn't have time for any of that. All he had time to do was turn to Jesus. The crucifixion, which was an act of hatred, stands today as the greatest act of love. In all of human history. The cross is a paradox. A seeming contradiction. The cross is a paradox. A seeming contradiction. The cross was the world's answer for Jesus. This was how they were going to finally take care of their Jesus problem. The cross was the place where they bound him to take his last breath. And yet, while the world thought the cross was their answer for Jesus, the cross was really God's answer for sin. And the place where he was bound is the very place I'm set free. Remember, church, that it is here at the cross 
that we find life. And Jesus provides the ultimate exchange. Naturally, we live dead in our sin. But in the cross, we supernaturally live by his death. You cannot have life without his death. You see, every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born is in need of a transfusion. We are so unclean. The Bible says in Isaiah 64 that our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. We are unclean. We are without hope. We need a transfusion. A transformation, if you would. I've said it before. It bears repeating. There's a lot of things I don't understand. I don't know why we park our cars in the driveway. I don't know why they call them apartments when they build them so close together. I don't know how the brown cow eats green grass and makes white milk. But I am so grateful that the sin-stained soul plunged beneath the red royal blood of Jesus always comes out white as snow. Isaiah said, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as wool. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 21 we find, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, and this brings us to an appreciation of the cross. Church, tonight we come to the Lord's table. and We're reminded this is love. This is love. The gospel and the cross cannot be dumbed down, watered down, or peddled like some used car. No, there is no other way. There is no other name. There is a weight here that cannot be denied. And church, to the world, such a sight ends up somewhere between repugnant and ridiculous. But to the believer, there is no more beautiful sight because the cross makes all the difference for me.